0: This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and SiriusXM
1: Channel 371. Wes, as you pointed out, two-a-days. We take the two teams that were in the ACC championship game. That'd be Wake Forest and Pittsburgh. And we preview the upcoming 22 campaign for both of those clubs later
2: on. That is, yep, that's getting ready to happen. And uh, Paul Zeiss set to join us at 830 and then we're going to get Connor O'Neill from Deacon Illustrated coming up at 9.30 this morning. So we'll hit those last two schools. But we're talking about a conversation that stemmed from a comment by Joe Gilio yesterday. So the game you still cannot believe your favorite team in the ACC let slip away. And here are just a couple. to. We're going to get to the calls at 844-SAY-ACCN here in just a moment. Uh, here are a couple just to get things rolling, right? You can hit us on Twitter if you want to. That's fine. We are got a lot of calls. Fun video. All right. Let's roll. Uh, was this Halloween night? No, it wasn't Halloween night. It just felt like Halloween night. Oh, it was Halloween night. That's right. <laughs> Halloween night, the fabled horseshoe on the West Campus. Uh... Miami. Miami. Eight laterals later is in the end zone. There's one. And we're going to get to two. Nobody's hit the ground yet, Pac. Uh, And there's Corn Elder. To
1: say that this is the uh, ACC version of the Stanford-Cal game would probably be an understatement, right? I mean, of all the games in the history of ACC football, when that play happened, I I know exactly where I was. We were renting Mm -hmm. an apartment because we were redoing our house And I remember sitting on the couch watching that thing happen, and I couldn't believe it. Like, I thought there was somebody pulling a a gag on me, like, all right, who's got a remote control? This can't be real. This can't be live. This this can't be really happening at the Wallace Wade Outdoor Stadium. And son of a gun, every time I see that play, it blows Mm -hmm. me away about the 15 calls that were missed. Sorry, Greensboro. But uh, man, alive! It's just hard, and I still remember David Cutcliffe after the game. Remember that interview, Cutcliffe's press conference after the game. Like he couldn't yeah. believe, like he was in, he wasn't distraught, but it was almost to the point of absurdity of what just took place. And I'm sitting here having to answer these questions. What a crazy night yep. that was!
2: That was bonkers, it was crazy, just totally crazy. Uh, let's go to basketball. We've shown some football here early. Let me just throw a little basketball log on the fire here real quick. Ladies and gentlemen, Austin Rivers. That's kind of all that needs to be said. Isn't it, Pac? Unbelievable game. I mean, Carolina is rolling. Tar Heels, look at that. Crowd going nuts. Wait. Wait a second. Uh, Game. You know what else is about
1: this highlight? I always watch Duke's bench during this play. I don't even yep. watch the shot going in anymore. I just watched Duke's bench and the reaction. And I still remember Coach K was almost like, huh? What? We won the game? You kidding? And like, he couldn't believe it. Like, that was just one of yep. those that uh, you really had – this is a perfect – that was a perfect example of this question. We got no business, right? Mm-hmm. You got no business winning that game. Well, guess what? We did. Yep. Ball game. Scoreboard. We do keep score. So, yeah, that one – yep. and, and listen, that series – you could probably have 10 North Carolina games and 10 Duke games where you could run highlights and go, yeah, well, here's the reciprocation of what you just watched. That's why that series has been so spectacular.
2: Crazy, right? Awesome. Just crazy. Uh, All right, we're going to get some calls. Let's do this. Uh, Rich in Louisville. Next on Packer and Durham. Rich, good morning.
0: Hey guys, this is still still kills me um, to this day. But it's the James Quick football game, yep. Louisville at Clemson. Both teams undefeated. Lamar Jackson, two thousand sixteen, and James Quick goes out of bounds instead of cutting it back up the field to get the first down, and we lose the game. <laughs> to this day, it was our <laughs> chance to you know to you know to really make a huge jump get past Clemson and, and potentially go undefeated the rest of the season. And it just all went, you know, just, just killed us that one day. So that's the one for me that is yeah. to this day, you know, six years later, still is, is just really makes me mad.
1: Rich, I get it. Uh, and I'll say this again. I thought it was one of the finest ACC football games ever played, uh, given what was at stake uh, when you go back in another one of those kind of games, if uh, if we played it this afternoon on ACC Network and you saw a list of who's on the field, you'd go star, star, yep. future star, star. I mean, it was incredible, the amount of talent on the field. And both those quarterbacks lived up to the hype. Primetime game, Death Valley stoked. Um, it had incredible momentum swings. It had unbelievable plays. And I totally get it. And who knows what they would have done had that been a reverse score, right? Because Louisville was a problem. I mean, listen, Mr. Jackson was a problem for everybody on the planet. Major Earth, problem. And still is to this day. Uh, but yep. that was one of the finest ACC football games ever, 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 period. End of story. It was incredible. Yep.
2: Uh, Griff in North Carolina. Good morning. How are you? Good. We're good. Appreciate your call.
0: Yeah, I'm a I grew up a Clemson fan and ended up playing for NC State back in the seventies for old Bo Ryan. Cool. Okay. To and listen. I'm oh, close wow. to all my state. Yeah. I could fill up the show with the state ones. But the best one I always remember was I used to have to go to uh, Walhalla, which is right outside of Clemson, and uh old Frank Howard used to have breakfast down there. That's I right. asked him that question one time. He says, Coach, what's the worst game you ever lost? Oh, Frank said, boys, I ain't ever lost a game. I've been behind a few times when the time
1: ran out. <laughs> That's it. It's 100% right.
0: You speak the truth there, Griff.
1: I'll tell you what, you come on back, I'll buy you breakfast in Guadalupe. I'm still hanging around. The ghost of Frank Hyde. <laughs> god bless him man he was awesome love frank wait, howard
2: wait a second It's a matter what a, what a what, real treat for us what's wrong in with the you, last Bill 15 Wesley? minutes we've had danny ford and frank howard well
1: griff was telling you the program. truth boy if you listen to what old griff said he was telling you the truth i never was behind by nobody we just ran out of time Old well, Griff knew only problem Griff made was he went to the wrong school if he had any kind of players he'd have come down and played for the Tigers that's what he that's what coach would have told Griff what you doing up there in Ryder?
2: coach coach Coach, why did you have to go to Walhalla to eat breakfast was there not any place in Clemson you could eat what well, was the deal there
1: I tried to spread I tried <laughs> to spread the wealth amongst all them good people on the upstate so yes you gather. did and coach I- and so, no. therefore, I got <laughs> no. in my car and I went up to Walla. There's a good old place to have some biscuits and some chicken up there. And I did, Wesley. So, what's your problem, boy? You ain't paid for a meal. I, I've been with you ten times. You ain't paid for a meal yet, there, Wesley. Them boys at ACC Network not paying you anything, boy. What's wrong with
2: you? <laughs> <laughs> spread the wealth. That's exactly right. Uh, All right. The uh, Bruce. Bruce in South Carolina. <laughs> Bruce is next. Good morning. Yes,
0: yes sir. Um, two games for your first question, which we let's flip away. 84 South Carolina Clemson and the Punt Ruski game. And your second Punt-Rusky. question was.
1: Oh. Punt-ru- let's and- hit, wait. Before you get to part two. Hold on a second now. Before you get to part two. Uh, that Punt Ruski game. Now, that, that was when I was running the network down there in Tigertown. Now, oh, the butts That's on the list. It. That's yeah. on the
2: list of all timers. Clemson yep. even
1: knew the play, and the crowd was so loud, they were screaming, fake, fake, fake. Old you know, Bobby Bowden's old slide dog over there had that thing stuck right up his back sleeve. Said, we're going to pull this play out, and we're going to ruin the party. And yep. boy, did they ever. That was an amazing football game.
2: Yeah. All right. What else, Bruce? And the second
0: part of your question is one that we uh, led, except we didn't win. I mean, we didn't lead, but we won the game. It was every statistic except the score. And that was a 78 Georgia-Clemson game. That was the only loss that year. 78 Georgia. Was that Scott
1: Warner? Was that that era? Was that the guy that did it to you? Um, yeah, I think
0: it's... That was, Scott uh, Warner punt returns. No, that was when we fumbled two balls in the end zone to try to score. Oh, yeah, they've oh,
1: ones, oh, 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 they've had some great
2: oh, ones too. They've had some great ones too.
1: Now, and that was uh, that
0: that was, uh, right. was uh, Woody Hayes' last year. Yeah,
1: that's right.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, well, it was seventy-eight. Right. Yeah.
1: That's all right. right. Uh, now he next. Now Bruce, he also thank you. wait. Bruce also mentioned the uh, eighty-four Clemson South Carolina game, and I think that was when. Uh, uh, Coach Morrison was at South Carolina with that Black Magic thing he had going on, and uh, they ended up South Carolina ended up scoring a touchdown and missed the extra point. But Clemson was offsides; they got a chance to redo it and kick the extra point, and won the game by one. If, not if I'm not mistaken about that, I'm not, that was in Death Valley.
2: Uh, yeah. All right, Rankin in North Carolina. Rankin, <laughs> welcome to the show. Good morning. What's Good up? Good morning. Join them.
1: Hello? Hey Rankin, you gonna talk okay, to us? Come on, Rankin. What you got oh, for okay. us, Rankin? What I you got you for
0: a second? Uh, hey, the late man. okay nineteen late nineteen seventies. NC State, Carolina, at State. Carolina's killing State basketball game. State makes a great comeback in the second half. Clyde Glide Austin has the ball at midcourt, and Dudley Bradley yep. steals the ball and makes the dunk. And that's right. State loses. That's it. Yep.
2: Yep. I yep. It that now Rankin. Wait, Rankin. Don't don't let Rankin yes. go, folks. Rankin. Don't ever forget Kenny yep. Matthews shot after Dudley Bradley's dunk almost went in. Yeah. Don't Crew. ever forget that. Yeah. Because if Kenny Matthews makes that shot, it goes along the lines of Marcus Page and Chris Jenkins, right, Pac? That's right. We talk all the time about how Marcus Page's shot for Carolina against Villanova at the Final Four to tie the game was one that's now been completely forgotten. And arguably, Page's shot's a hell of a lot more difficult than Chris Jenkins. But if Kenny Matthews makes that shot, nobody remembers Dudley Bradley steal, right, Pack? That's exactly right. But that was
1: a great game, and, and I was there. I was at oh. Reynolds that night, and place was roaring. That second half, the roof was coming off Reynolds Coliseum because, like you said, like Rankin yep. said, North Carolina punked them in the first half, and then stayed at this crazy oh. rally. And when Clyde DeGlide took it around midcourt, and Dudley Bradley picked it clean as the day is long, and ball game—that a typical State yep. Carolina late '70s. Man, they had some classics too. Incredible game, amazing.
2: On the tartan floor at Reynolds Coliseum, boys. Yep. Woo, you could exactly. see the lights glaring off that floor. Yep. State was wearing the uh, State was wearing the big numbers by then. They weren't wearing the sewn-ons. They were wearing the big numbers. Clyde had the. <laughs> The names were bigger on the back. The numbers were bigger. It was awesome. And they had
1: the old crowd noise meter. They used to have this crowd noise meter with just bulbs in Love all thing. four sides at the top, and that thing <clears throat> stayed lit the entire second half. I mean, yep. it was so. In fact, this is going to sound stupid when I'm about ready to tell you. It was so loud, it was almost quiet because it was such it was such a din <clears> that you couldn't you couldn't hear anything. So it was almost like uh, right. you're in bubbles or something. It was it was. Bonkers how loud it was in that place. But, man, Dudley brown yep. it was as pure a pure steal as you'd ever want to have. Right there at midcourt, and there was nothing anybody could do about it. What a game.
2: All right, we'll get back to more of this as the show moves on. Uh, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, Megan Jebbia is going to join us. She is the new women's basketball coach at Wake Forest. Look forward to talking to her. Paul Zeiss is 15 minutes away, one of our favorites on this show. He's got to be at a tea time somewhere in Western PA on yeah. a Tuesday because you know, yesterday's a maintenance day, so I'm sure Zeiss has got it pegged and ready to go today. So we're going to talk to him, and I bet it's from the car. Uh, and when uh, when we could return though, off to the Twin Cities, uh, Megan Jebbia is the new women's basketball coach at Wake Forest. After a terrific tenure at Mer- American University in Washington, she takes over the Deeks. We will talk to Coach next on Packer and Durham, the Packer and Durham podcast.
0: This is the Packer and Durham Podcast.
1: Packer and Durham on a Tuesday, 844-SAY-ACCN. It's 844-SAY-ACCN. We'll get back to your phone calls. We've got guests coming up. Again, two a days. It's all about Pitt. It's all about Wake Forest football. But, Wes, it's more than just Wake Forest football today on the show, right?
2: No, no. You're exactly right. Uh, Almost a month ago, Megan Jebbia was named the head women's basketball coach at Wake Forest. Uh, so she will be guiding the Deacs, uh this coming season. And she joins us this morning from Winston-Salem. Uh, Coach, first of all, welcome uh, to Wake Forest, the ACC and to Packer and Durham this morning. Uh, I would ask you if this has been the fast track, but I think I know whatever's faster than fast is probably what this has been in the last three and a half or four weeks, right?
3: You couldn't be more right about that. It was uh, and, and John Curry, the AD, told me it was going to speed up once uh, they made their decision. So very fast, uh, but excited and truly like, really just trying to get everything uh, in line, get everybody hired um, and get moving with recruiting. Obviously, that's really important to us right now. So it's been good. The staff here has been so warm and welcoming and helpful. And we always have somebody around us asking if we need help or what we need. So um, I'm really enjoying that and just trying to get settled, really.
1: Megan, I know you're busy. You know why? Because when you don't have pictures on the wall, I ain't got time for that, man. We got to go get some players. <laughs> yeah, right. We got to go get some players.
3: That's so, coming. <laughs>
1: I understand. So yep. with, that, with that said, you know, when you take over a program, uh, when you took inventory of Wake Forest, what did you find?
3: Uh, just, I mean, a terrific roster, honestly. Like, I'm looking back and thinking, you know, what, what was intriguing to me with taking this job, and I thought – you know, there's a lot of upperclassmen coming back. Uh, the facilities are tremendous. We can compete in the ACC yeah. with these types of facilities. And, you know, just the leadership here. I think the leadership here with John and his staff has been tr- tremendous. Um, I feel like I'm going to learn and grow as a coach um, and look forward to, you know, competing in, you know, what we would say is the best uh, women's basketball league in the country.
2: Yeah, well, and you mentioned the experience level coming back from a team that was kind of, it felt like an bridge year. Uh, you bring back the ACC's leading scorer as a sophomore. That hadn't happened in a long, long time. Uh, so yeah. at, least you, uh, at least you've got a proven commodity in, in which you can build around in Jewel Spear.
3: Yeah, she's tremendous. We had a really nice conversation um, in the very beginning, uh, right after the press conference, about like my beliefs and how we want to run the program. And we, we really see eye to eye on a lot of things. And it really made me comfortable with being here, having her support um, and just really wanting to learn and grow as a player and continuing her, her path in the ACC. So we've talked a lot about that and she's excited. I think, you know, in workouts and things like that that we've been having over the summer um, she's really bought in and, and really the team in general has bought in. So I'm just excited to, you know, work with them throughout the season and see what we're, we're capable of doing. Uh, but her with her, being the the leader of the team, honestly, um, and her ability and her and her belief in herself, I think, is really a big part of what this program is going to be about moving forward.
1: You know, in this day and age mm-hmm. of the transfer portal, I think anytime there's a coaching change, regardless of sport, there's always the flag of all right. You know, who who can you keep still intact, or who's got to go? I mean, it's just the nature of the beast in this day and age. Uh, when you take over the job at Wake Forest, how important was it from a roster perspective? Like I said, when you took inventory from this day and age of the transfer portal, I mean, let's be honest, most of those players probably didn't know who you were, probably might not have heard of you at America and all that stuff, but they don't really know who you are yet. How critical was that yeah. period immediately to say, listen, here's who I am, here's how we're going to go about doing our thing, and let's go get to work?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge point that you're making. Um, you know, I just left a program where we had people transfer into the portal as grad transfers. So, you know, that like coming into this situation, I wasn't sure if they were going to stay or not, but I think, after the first week and them getting to know us a little bit and what we're about, I think made them feel a lot more comfortable. I think initially they were not sure. For, and I think you could ask any of them that, but I think once they learned, uh, kind of the relationships that we're trying to build with each and every one of them. And I really think they bought into the, the school. I mean, I think, you know, you want people to stay because they enjoy being here. If something we're bad were to happen you know career ending injury type thing you want to be able to say that you chose the right school and i think a lot of them are here for that reason and the education piece as well but yeah i mean i was concerned um heading into this but you know so far so good i don't want to jinx myself at this point but so far so good
2: all right so you've done this obviously before uh terrific tenure at america and you go to a couple tournaments there You've been to tournaments at Marist, obviously at Sweet 16 as an assistant. You've been to the NCAA tournament. You know the competitive level of the league. I mean, you're in the East Coast. You know where the ACC's been. Kind of how are the points of attack here? Obviously, you've got, I think, two of your assistants have already been brought on who are with you at American. I think that continuity certainly helps. So what are the punch punch list items here? And then, I mean, recruiting is one thing. But you just touched on these workouts. And I know this is the time of year where teams can do some summer workouts type deals is that been as revealing as anything that's occurred since you've taken the job
3: i, I yes um, i think you know and deal in moving up this to, to the power five level right because i have never been here it's really nice to see how quickly these players pick up what you're teaching um, and put it into action relatively fast. Now I do think part of that is due to the fact that we have some upperclassmen on the roster um, and they kind of, they know the game, they, ha- they have experience minute, minutes wise and things like that. But the, uh, the workouts are huge uh, because it ch- kind of shows me their IQ, what they look for. Um, are we, you know, uh, unselfish as a group? And I, I believe that we are, you know, what type of shot selection do we take? You know, we talked a lot about, you know, making having uh, more assists and less turnovers based on last year's stats, things like that, that we're kind of hammering in now, um, and why we make the decisions that we make. I think that's a big piece of what we're what we're trying to implement. So all those things are really important hmm. to us uh, as things we look at moving forward.
1: Um, I'm gonna. Ask, I know you're just slammed and, and running, hitting the ground running here. <laughs> but have you been able to spend any time whatsoever? with Steve Forbes, your counterpart on the men's side, because Forbes now, again, he, he jumped in the league a couple years ago and he's kind of made himself at home, and he's a character, and, and he's got that transfer portal thing working. He's changing rosters left and right and, and had a great year, coach of the year, got the player of the year. But have you spent any time with Forbes at all yet?
3: Uh, a little bit. We've talked on the phone a couple of times. Um, we did a, a alumni booster-type event and he is a character. Hmm. You have him, him pegged. <laughs> um, I really enjoy his thought process and how he goes about coaching his guys. I haven't watched a practice yet, but he really believes in doing everything for the players. And that I feel the same exact way as he does. Um, he's definitely hit the portal and had a lot of su- success with that. Um, I also think he said he was nuts for taking a job in COVID. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, he made it work he's made it work um and so we're going to be looking at that probably moving forward a little bit the portal i just think because it's so late in the hiring process that it's really tough to hit the Mm -hmm. portal now and get the type of player you want um so hopefully we remain healthy next year i think that's going to be a big part of 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 having any type of success um and then after that we'll see we'll see what happens
2: well if i got this right you grew up in the dmv right so you're kind of one of those uh Uh, Washington Baltimore types and he's from Lone Tree (laughs) Iowa so it's gonna be it's gonna be a hell of a connection once y'all get settled in and figure it out because I mean you know he's that guy knows more people at more places where basketballs get blown up and bounced than any place I've I mean one of the few guys I've ever met who seemingly has got a connection anywhere so uh, he'll probably yes. hear about a player moving before anybody ever else does. So, But uh, yeah. he's great fun. You're right about that. And you guys will do a terrific job uh, uh, in, the, in the alumni game for sure. I want to go to the league uh, because I do think you've got unique insight as somebody coming to the ACC who's well aware of the landscape. Uh, you know about Virginia, Virginia Tech. You obviously know NC State, Louisville, Notre Dame. Those have been household brands. So, from the outside, Megan, what's been the perception from other coaches about where this league has gone in the last three or four years? Because Pac and I, in doing this program, either radio or now on television, talk about the emergence or the ascent of ACC women's basketball. Do you think that's fair that this league has grown and and kind of set itself nationally?
3: I, I do, um, especially with Louisville and NC state, obviously at the top of the league, you know, watching Jeff um, and, and West do their thing um, has been tremendous. It's only helped. Right. I think, you know, there's a lot of new coaches in the conference over the last few years and coaches that have come from mid major places that have had success. Um, so I know those coaches uh, understand what it takes to win. Um, and I think it's such a competitive conference. It's, it's nice for somebody like me coming in where you don't have to win the league to get to the tournament. I'm so used to having to do that um, that in some ways it's like you really you know the top half of the league is really beating each other up a lot, um, which is great for your net, um, great to get in. You know when you have that uh, those bubble teams and things like that. So I do think it's emerging. I think um, you know it's it's a lot of teams. Obviously they they don't we don't play everybody twice. So there's that. I, I think a lot with. Um, You know, not being able to go to certain places and having another shot at people unless it's in the tournament is different for me. Um, But also, you know, just trying to get adjusted, see what it's about, you know, see where we we, where we kind of match up in the conference and figure out what we need to bring in here to have the success that we need to have and try to work ourselves into the top half of the conference. I think well, that's
1: co- important. Well, Coach, again, congratulations on the new gig. We look forward to multiple interviews down the road and uh, continued success. And don't worry about the pictures. we got plenty of time to do that and whatever the offseason is <laughs> this day and age. So good good <laughs> luck on it. next the, time. There Hopefully you go. <laughs> you got it. Well, we wish you the very best. Thanks for joining
2: us. All
3: right. Thanks, guys. Take
2: care. All right. Megan Jebbia is the new women's basketball coach at Wake Forest. Our thanks to her. When we continue on the other side, Friend of the show, Paul Zeiss, from Pittsburgh. Two-a-days on the Panthers, the champions of the ACC a season ago. No Kenny Pickett. He's moved over to the next building. How does the quarterback battle impact what the rest of Pitt looks like? We'll talk to Zeiss about that when we continue in a moment. Packer and Durham.
0: Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham.
1: In Durham on a Tuesday. Two days continue. In fact, they end today for us, but uh, we're going to take the two teams that won their respective conference divisions last year. Of course, mm-hmm. the Pitt Panthers went on to win the ACC Championship about three miles from where I am currently sitting. And it was an amazing year for Pat Narduzzi, Kenny Pickett, and Panther Nation. And, Wes, you know, there are going to be a lot of folks that are going to be kind of like, all right, we'll Pitt won last year, but we'll put them over here. Don't put them over there. I think Pitt could be a problem for people again. This is a team that's got a lot of yeah. dudes back, even though Kenny Pickett is no longer with the Panthers.
2: Yeah, we're going to talk to Paul Zeiss, obviously, uh, who is a media mogul in Pittsburgh. He'll uh, join us here in uh, just a second. Uh, it's I think it is a quarterback conversation uh, in fact, let's bring Paul on here. the The quarterback conversation is going to take place with Keaton's. Look at, look at. Wait, hold on. Zeiss is joining us, and I was expecting the car on a way to a Tuesday tea time. I cannot tell you how disappointed I am.
4: Well, uh, tea time today is actually about nine forty five, so I don't have to be in the car yet. <laughs> Just yet. Soon, <laughs> but not yet.
2: Oh. all right. So, if I told you that the number one priority for Pitt is determining the quarterback, is that fair in describing the concerns of the whole team? That just seems like the one thing we're all waiting on, but there are not a lot of other questions. Otherwise, this football team looks pretty solid, Paul.
4: Well, you're right about that. I think the biggest thing, I don't know that they're really deciding the quarterback. I mean, I can't imagine they brought Keaton Slovis here. Not to be the quarterback, uh, and and you know that that's the way it played out in in spring uh, spring drills, where he was you know the the primarily the, the number one, and um, he's the guy that people forget some you know he uh, what he threw for like thirty eight hundred yards thirty nine hundred yards or something as a freshman in the Pac twelve uh, at USC he's obviously proven he can play at a pretty high level you know against power five competition um, you know he's a guy that they brought here because they feel like they felt like quarterback was their biggest need. Um, And so I think when you, you know, add it all up and everything else, um, he's a guy that probably is going to be, uh, I think a really good player. And mostly because he's going to be put in a situation where um, he's going to almost have to succeed just because uh, the players around him and and the team around him is so good.
1: Uh, You know, it's funny when I look at Pitt, And you're closer to it than I am. Um, But, you know, I I think the quarterback thing will work itself out. I mean, Slobis can play. I mean, anybody that – unless you've been underneath a rock. I mean, I'm not saying he's a Heisman guy, but, you know, the dude is more than serviceable and, and can be at times spectacular if everything falls into place. So he can play. Patty gives you experience. They'll figure out the quarterback part. But, you know, you lose Jordan Addison, and that's a dude. Now, that guy was a special player. I'm kind of curious, Paul, to see who steps up at the wide receiver spot. And on the other side, at linebacker, I know that, that Pat's did a nice job in recruiting. Uh, there's some spots on that linebacker. Uh, in the defensive front's all right. some guys back in the secondary. But at linebacker, they're going to have to find some answers to the questions in fall camp.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, they still have some, some really good players at, at linebacker. And the other thing, uh, they, they went out and got a couple of guys in transfer. I, I, I've said this before. I think I've even said this on this show. Um, you know, Pat Narduzzi was one of the outspoken critics of the transfer situation and, uh, you know, talking about loyalty and players. Uh, should, you know, players used to stay where they stayed and all the other stuff. But he has really figured out how to use the transfer portal to his completely to his uh, 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 you know in his favor, better than just about any coach I can think of. You know, you talk about linebacker, you talk about receiver. They went out and got guys at both of those positions. Um, If they could afford to lose, and obviously you lose Jordan Addison, it's you're losing a big time player. But you could, if they could afford to lose a player at a position. Um, receivers is where they could have afforded to lose. It. They have so many guys on this team that are so good. Um, this receiving core, it's it's obviously doesn't have Addison, but it could actually turn out to be um, the, one of the team's strengths. And I think they've got a lot of different kinds of receivers too. I mean, they've got guys that can break games, you know, down the field. They've got possession guys. They've got big, strong receivers. I mean, pretty much. Whatever you want from a receiver, they've got, you know, different options. So, um, receiver's going to be good and the linebacking position um, at Pitt. It, it, because of the way they play defense, you obviously have to go have good linebackers. But it comes really, really 100% down to their defensive line. And I think, you know, as we saw in that Wake Forest game, you know, this defensive line and defensive front seven, um, and it got better as the season went on because they got, they grew up, they got a little older. Um, you know, they've got guys like Kalija Cansey back who might be, you know, an all American. Um, I really, really don't see a lot of holes on this team and that's, you know, coming from somebody who, my, um, the first pit game I ever went to was in 1979. Um, and so I, I can, I can tell you, uh, I, I would say there's a, a fair amount of cynicism about pit has grown in me over the last 50 <laughs> years or whatever, 40 years, just like everybody else who's watched Pitt And. <laughs> Watch Pitt losing ways that you just say to yourself, how in the world did they just lose this game? Watch Pitt have amazing things happen to them in the negative, wrong way. Uh, I've done that for 40 years. It's incredible that I'm sitting here telling you I'll be shocked if they don't at least get back to the ACC championship game, and I think they can play with anybody on their schedule. So, you know, if they, if they um, can survive the first two weeks, just from the standpoint of, you know, uh, they're playing teams that you don't generally play early in the season, uh, West Virginia and then, and then Tennessee, I mean, they, there's a good chance they could play against Miami for a chance not just to go to the ACC four, uh, championship game, but also for a chance to go unde- undefeated.
2: Woo. Hmm. All right. Now, Paul, you mentioned West Virginia on the first and Tennessee on the 10th. I want to get right to the backyard brawl here because there is something about WVU being back on the uh, on the schedule. Um, you know, there, Packer and I were talking about uh, West Virginia and Virginia Tech playing, and after having a cooling-off period, Pitt and West Virginia probably needed to have a cooling-off period, right? I mean, now they're back, and this just feels good about college football to get these two playing, doesn't it?
4: No, absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, um, I, I would say what's Wake Forest from, uh, how far is Wake Forest from Chapel Hill? Like 50 minutes, 55 minutes? There's a little more than that.
2: Yeah, neighborhood of that. You maybe know, a little more,
4: it's, yeah. It's it's very similar. I mean, you know, it's two different states, but, you know, um, and maybe I've fractured a few uh, speeding laws and things of the such. but I've been from downtown Pittsburgh to, you know, Morgantown and, 50 minutes uh, and so uh, it's it's really um, two teams that are literally in each other's backyard I mean a great examples just just Rodney Gallagher who is one of the best you know one of the top rated players in Pennsylvania um, and he's from down near uh, Uniontown area which is technically in the league that is in Pittsburgh you know the WPIL which is the high school league that really encompasses uh, Pittsburgh. But he's actually 15 minutes from Morgantown, you know, from, from uh, Mountaineer Field. And, of course, he, he uh, uh, committed to West Virginia over Pitt. And people were kind of like, oh, I can't believe a kid like that would, you know, go go there. And it, it's like, well, he grew up 15 minutes from, from West Virginia. That's where a lot of kids, I mean, if you get 15 minutes south of uh, Pittsburgh, you know, you start getting into the territory where people are, are, are you know, are, are West Virginia fans. It's actually closer to go to West Virginia than it is to go to Pitt. It's on, uh, you know, a little bit South. So at the end of the day, it's a, it's a rivalry that should have never gone away, but it was getting really nasty, uh, in a lot of different ways. And there have been some absolute classics. And I'll tell you, I don't know if you saw this on social media, but this kind of just gives you a little flavor about this and how spicy this, this, uh, rivalry is Pitt. Um, I don't know. A, few, a couple of weeks ago, had a uh, a post on Twitter that said "100 days out." Can't wait for the backyard brawl, and it had a picture of the uh, the Pit Panthers running out of the out of the sta- out of the tunnel, and the two helmets. If you look at the two helmets, one says 13, and the other says nine. So, uh, in case you is tremendous, in case you can't remember uh, or don't remember. Um, you know, West Virginia was on the verge of a national championship. Really, I think they would have beat Ohio State, to be honest. But they, they were on the verge of, Ohio, of, of, a, of a national championship, and all they had to beat was a really not a very good pit team. Uh, right. complete with uh, Dave that I don't know if you remember images of oh, Dave yeah. that on a crutches because he blew out his Achilles heel. You know, for like two weeks, he's reeling around on one of them little wheelchair things. You know what I'm saying? At, at the facility, and everybody's like, "Boy, this was going to be an absolute bloodbath," and somehow, some way, Pitt won the game thirteen to nine. So that that game, um, you know, anytime a West Virginia fan has anything to say to Pitt fans, they all you know, thirteen to nine is all you need to say. But That's how these games are, which is why, even though I think Pitt is a lot better in West Virginia, I mean, I have no idea how that game is going to end up. I know it'll be sold out. I know there'll be a lot of uh, probably language used in the stands that uh, probably is not appropriate for kids. Um, And and, and I know the game is going to be a lot of fun.
1: It's hard to believe that was 15 years ago, but that might have been the craziest year of college football in terms of the last month, with everything that had to happen. Eventually, LSU won the whole thing, and they looked like they were dead and water right. after losing at home to Arkansas, late, late, late. But you're right. I mean, all West Virginia had to do—I think they were like a two or three touchdown favorite in the rain at home, twenty-eight and a half point. Favorite. Is that what it was? I knew it was a big twenty-eight number. and a
4: half point favorite. Crazy. In fact, they. Yeah, they were they were like. Uh, remember, was, I think then Stanford beat USC that year, and I think Stanford was like a twenty eight point underdog yeah. as well. The big thing with that game, I can honestly say this because you remember that Pat White, they had Steve uh, Slayton, they had that whole you know uh, fastest show on turf or whatever, and and I and I'm gonna tell you the year before. They put up 645 yards against pitch defense <laughs> in a game that uh, in a game where I basically, which is, I, I still see Steve Slayton running wheel routes down the down the side of Heinz Field for touchdowns. So, but but this game was in Morgantown. Yeah. And you know, yeah. it was one yeah. time. It's the one time I walked into a game. You know, because I was obviously covering the game. I walked into a game talking to somebody and said, "I've sat here for one week." And I cannot come up with one legitimate, realistic, conceivable way that Pitt can win this game. In fact, I think I'll be writing my story by the end of the first quarter because it's good, they're, they're going to be up 21 nothing. It's going to be over. <laughs> and, somehow, and it was one of those things as the game kept going on. I mean, uh, as the game kept going on, I kept saying, okay, this is the possession where you know Slayton and Pat White goes, you know, all the way down the field and score, and it's over. Once they get a lead in this game, it's going to be over. But I will say this, Pitt fans, and I don't know that they're wrong, are still a little bit salty about the fact that it felt like Mike Trangisi and his referees wanted wanted to make sure about, you know, the Big East got a team in the national championship game because they made some mm. ridiculously, ridiculously bad calls down the stretch against Pitt. But, you know, that, to yeah. me, is the greatest performance. Of, you know, people, people ask me, you know, real quick, people ask me all the time, who's the best Pit player that I, mean, I can – Remember, now there have been guys who've had greater college careers, I mean greater pro careers, but I'm going to tell you, if you remember that pit team and how absolutely atrocious they were throwing the football, and they were really bad. They, they that that was a team, honestly, that looked like they were like uh, you know a nineteen you know ten football team that didn't understand how to throw a forward pass because the quarterback situation <laughs> got so screwed up. But they. They had they had LeSean McCoy. The greatest season yep. I think I've ever had. I've ever watched a pit play and I watched Larry Fitzgerald almost win a Heisman. I'm telling and pick it last year. But LeSean McCoy did to carry that offense and and in that game in particular, he was a man among boys. So uh yes, great great memories with West Virginia.
1: You know, by the way, all right, uh, now that we got West Virginia uh locked and loaded, uh, can we do anything for Pitt and Penn State? I mean, Pat Kraft is now the AD Ooh. over there at Penn State. Can we, can we ever get that thing renewed? What do you think?
4: I think as as long as the um, – how do I say this in a nice way? As long as the egos of the two coaches are as big as the, they are. And uh, I love Pat, by the way. But, I mean, as long as those two coaches still – I mean, I just don't know that that game's ever going to happen. I, I hope it does. But um, the two coaches, I think, are entrenched. And blaming the other coach for the reason why it's not being played, so I would say I, I don't have nearly as much hope that that's going to play, be, that's be played. That's too bad.
2: That's too bad. I'd love to see it. Can I just? Can I just say Paul Zeiss never disappoints on this show, Pac? Can I just say that? You just did. Can I? I mean, it's, I know. It, I'm telling you, dude, you're awesome, and grateful oh, for your time you. today. Fairways and greens to you this morning. 945 uh, by the way here's the tweet from narduzzi's account no less pack 100 days till heinz is rocking can't wait look lover. at the 13 and the 9 helmet i mean that is just getting in your business look at that yes, that's, that's that's that they is think. awesome that's
4: that's how that they is do awesome in the backyard brawl you know, yeah. And, and I'm telling you, hey, the uh, basketball, the bat. Listen, the ba- the baseball teams played at, at, high, at PNC Park. Uh, you know, the the basketball teams have played now. The uh, I think the women's basketball teams are going to play now. I mean, it's 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 a it's a game that should be played in every sport. And I'm telling you, it, it's it, you know, it's more intense than just about any rivalry you can come up with. So it's tremendous. I I I, I, mean, I, I yeah. and i will and tell you what. I I I love going down to Mountaineer Field. I know you know you got to wear a hard hat and you got to probably you know at some (laughs) point wear some if you're you know if you're wearing pit gear, but I'm not because I'm going to work. But I've you know I've been uh, I've been to a bunch of games just as a fan down there. I'm gonna tell you what. What you can say whatever you want to say about West Virginia, and of course we get all the jokes. You know, I mean, I, I I I'll give you a real quick one. A bunch of years ago. The uh, announcer at Pitt Stadium got suspended for two games because he said, "There's a car in the parking lot." Uh, what did he say? "There's a car in the parking lot. Uh, the lights are on. You need to go uh, go turn the lights off." It's a West Virginia license plate with the, we're, we're, It's a license. It's a West Virginia license plate that reads E I E I O. So. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, that he's not right. That is not right. There's just like no, there's no rules when it comes to this thing. So that is
2: not that. right. Yeah,
4: that is not right.
2: All right, Paul, be well. See you soon. <laughs> All Thanks. Right. We'll see you guys. Have a good one. All right, Paul's heist,
1: <laughs> West Virginia jokes on <laughs> top of it. That was a, uh, that was a clever tweet. However, y- yeah, hey, that yeah, was clever. It. That was good.
2: That was good. Yeah. All right, when we come back, we'll squeeze in a couple of calls. Uh, Danny Grace from Omaha, Connor O'Neill still to come on two days with Wake Forest, and more. Power Hour, just around the corner of Packer and Durham.
4: The Packer and Durham Podcast.
0: This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer and Durham
1: on a Tuesday. Continue to take your phone calls at eight four four say ACCN. As Wes mentioned, uh, Danny Graves and Connor O'Neill are coming up on the Power Hour, which is just a mere moments away. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, uh, back to the calls here. Uh, Myron in Virginia is with us. Remember, these are the games you can't believe your team let slip away. Myron, good morning. Good
0: morning. Glad to be on your show, guys. Uh, yeah, I love watching you guys, and uh, I've been going to UVA games since uh, since I was pretty much born. I've uh, been working uh, worked for Rich Murray and Doyle Smith all of the years, uh, in and now with wow. Jim Daves and Eric Bakker. So I, I've been around UVA cool. sports a lot, and I do the radio for UVA women's basketball as a color analyst. So I've seen a lot of games, but I, I think Cavalier fans will never get over the 1990 Georgia Tech football game Uh You know, number one in the country. Uh, CBS comes there, the blimps above, and Virginia scores a late touchdown. It's called back because they didn't have enough men on the line of scrimmage. And then Georgia Tech comes down, and Scott Sisson, who's probably not a name that a lot of Cavalier fans like, he boots one through the uprights. And, uh, of course, Georgia Tech and Bobby Ross go on to win the national title. Uh, that That was a tough day in Charlottesville.
1: That is a good call. Yep. That's a really good call. That's a
2: really good call.
0: You know, it's uh, funny
2: too,
1: Wes. That game—that's one. Yeah, I was going to say that game Mm -hmm. in particular. If you would have told somebody before the game started, the winner of this game would go on to get at least a share of the national championship in football. If you would have asked that question to anybody walking through the gates in Charlottesville that day, I I would have loved to have heard the responses because that ended up being true. But you didn't think it was going to be Mm -hmm. Georgia Tech. You thought it could be Virginia. Nope but you were not sold that it was going to be Georgia Tech. Crazy how that worked
2: out. Yeah. Well, Georgia Tech, you know, in many respects, at the back end of 89, had a nice finish. And then in 90, started off and got an early season win, as you know, against Clemson. Right. Then this tie at Carolina, the tie out of nowhere with a Carolina team that was just kind of developing, to be honest, with Mac Brown in year three. And then they go to Virginia – and, more, Nikki Fisher, Herman Moore, Terry Kirby. I mean, it was all over the place. And they won that game on the Sisson field goal, as Myron said. But then people forget the next week Sisson had to kick another field goal to beat Virginia Tech in Atlanta yeah. at Grant Field, or else we're not even having the conversation with Georgia Tech anymore.
1: That's exactly
2: right. Um, yeah. So it shows you just how fragile it is. And, by the way, Myron, for every Virginia Tech fan or for every Virginia fan that doesn't want to hear Scott Sisson's name, there are a ton of Carolina fans that never want to hear Antoine Harris's name.
1: That's right. (laughs) That's exactly For the
2: Keldorf interception at the goal line under the same circumstances. I mean, Carolina's on the way to having an unbelievable season, and it goes away on the Keldorf interception to Antoine Harris, who, by the way, was from Raleigh and grew up a Carolina fan.
1: Yeah, and for whatever reason, North Carolina just simply could not win in Charlottesville in football. Kind of weird how that works out,
2: too. Unbelievable. Uh, All right, back to Virginia. Dick is next with us. Good morning. Welcome to Packer Durham.
0: Good morning.
2: I'm a longtime healthy fan. I'm a graduate and uh, blessed to have retired to
0: live in Blacksburg. The game I'm talking about, uh, I remember it, is uh, three years into into the ACC, our former Big East rival Boston College, Beat us in Lane Stadium after we'd led uh, practice the whole game, and um, uh, I just couldn't. Matt Ryan was our quarterback, Matt and he Ryan. threw a touchdown into the end zone right at the yep. end to win the game. But we got redemption because we played them again in December in the ACC game and won the championship. Mm-hmm.
2: That's right. Yeah. That, yep. That BC. That's Virginia another one. That's a great call lane.
1: too. That BC game at Lane Stadium where he throws across his body and it's like, man, the ball was in the air. It seemed like forever. Perfect pass for the touch. And that was – it. David's spot on. That seemed to be a game that Virginia Tech had in control and they just didn't know how to close. And you give BC all the credit. Uh, And unlike Julio's comment, uh, BC actually did win the game because they won (laughs) the game.
2: They took the lead and won the game. That's
1: how that works.
2: Yep. There you go. Great calls. Uh, Matt Ryan to Andre Cal- Challenger- Calendar was on our list, too, by the way. We were going to show that, but, you know, we don't need to. Dick just covered it for us. Yep. Uh, when we come back, Danny Graves from Omaha highlights the Power Hour. Connor O'Neill, Wake Forest 2-a-days and more of your phone calls on games you cannot believe your team let slip away. Notre Dame on the bump at 2 o'clock today against Texas A&M. Loser leave town game coming up from... Omaha. Danny's next on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham.